So like trial by fire, one of the first nights I did pit security uh, was, was AFI and Screw32 on the same show. Yeah. Uh, and AFI had reached the point where they were, they were headlining. Um, and AFI was, was selling out at that point. Like uh, it, was, it was a packed, packed show. Uh, and so they put me up on stage uh, defending a microphone stand. So that was my whole purpose was to, to sit in front of, uh, Jeff was playing bass for them then, was to sit in front of Jeff's mic stand and push the crowd back. Uh, and I'm like 16 years old. The next day, uh, no, two days later, I'm walking to school on a Monday morning and I could barely walk. Hey, Sean, how's it going, man? Good, yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks uh, for coming to the Question and the Answers podcast. Um, Sean Osborne is the front person for the Middle-Aged Queers, who happen to be a band that I'm working with with my label, Sell the Heart Records. And they're an East Bay queercore punk band that has kind of an interesting uh, dynamic uh, kind of historic lineup, if you, you know, imagine all the players involved. So Sean... Uh, has been in a few bands that people may know of, like The Cost, who were on Lookout Records, and Wet Nap, who were kind of a, a fabled East Bay punk band from back in the 90s, as well as members from Fang, Yafit Koto, and a few others to mention. But, um, you know, I've certainly really enjoyed uh, working with you and your band. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Um, so tell me a little bit about Middle Age Queers and what you guys have been up to. Uh, well, so Middle Age Queers started uh, when our bassist, Josh, uh, who played in, played in Fang, he played in the Insaints, uh, who, if you want to go down a, a fun and bizarre rabbit hole, uh, look up the Insaints. They had quite a, an interesting history um, and a few other bands. Um, he had posted uh, on Facebook that just, just a question. He just said, Queer core middle age band question mark, um, and a few of us. Uh, well, it actually was dozens of responses, um, and it was you know the standard Facebook replies like I'll play triangle, um, whatever. Uh, and I messaged him uh, and said yes, like let's do this, um, and he <laughs> he mentioned to me. Uh, right after that, that he had met Nikki at a, a barbecue in my backyard. And he was like, I, I, I want Nikki in on this. Um, like I met Nikki and I want to be, I want to be in a band with her playing drums. Uh, so we met up, uh, Josh uh, owns uh, Peebles Donut Farm yes. uh, over on San, San Paolo Avenue. And so we met in his, <laughs> we met in the utility closet of his bakery. <laughs> Awesome. And uh, there was a there was a drum set there, and there was a bunch of amps, um, and he just kind of had been storing them there, um, and so we we kind of flushed out a few songs, um, and we made it a, a regular thing. Like every, uh, I think it, we started off every Wednesday. We'd all go down there, um, and because all of us had played in other bands before um 
people were asking questions, uh, you know, like, oh, I can't hang out with you on Wednesday. I got band practice. Uh, and then people would be like, what? You're playing in a band again? Tell me more. Um, I, I don't think any of us initially thought that we were going to do anything other than play house parties, maybe. Um, this was like, like our fun dad rock band. Uh, and so we got offered a show at the Dildo Factory uh, in Berkeley, which no longer exists. Uh, and so we took it and then we quickly had to come up with a name. And so we, <laughs> we figured if we formed the band uh, through social media, we might as well crowdsource the name. Uh, and I posted, what should we call our, our, our middle-aged queer core band? And the replies came in with, you know, some funny pithy responses, but uh, there were multiples that were like, dude, that's your name. Your name is middle-aged queers. Um, and so we played our first show uh, at the Dildo Factory, a band called Middle Age Queers, uh, which is awesome. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and people came to see us. Uh, and, you know, friends of ours and then people who just were also interested in, like, what the hell is this? There's a band called Middle Age Queers. Um, right after that, we got offered a show with uh, the pathogens at 924 Gilman street. And that was kind of, that was kind of neat because the pathogens are, you know, they are definitely uh, some, some East Bay royalty as far as the punk rock scene goes, uh, you know, members of Econo Christ and Tilt and Blaths and, um, and so, you know, we, we played that show with them uh, on a Sunday um, and, and more people showed up. Uh, and we just kind of kept on doing that. Uh, we we talked before about being that being in that band that just says yes to shows, um, and so for a year straight, we just kept on saying yes, uh, and wrote more songs. More people started coming to see us, uh, and we played a show. It was a benefit for Radio Valencia. Uh, over at, I can't even remember the name, The Knockout. That's what Knockout, it was. We yeah. played a show, benefit show at Radio Valencia for Knockout. And it was a totally eclectic bill. Uh, we, us being the new kids played first. Um, and we played with a band called These Bastards. Hmm. Um, and we kind of bonded with them about, uh, we, we have a t-shirt uh, design that has the Golden Girls on it. Uh, okay. And so do they. And so we kind of bonded about that and, uh, you know, made friends. Uh, a few weeks later, we played a show at the Ivy Room and the person doing sound, uh, who I lived with and uh, have known for years, uh, came up and was like, hey, Sean, what do you guys think about playing uh, at, at Slim's, uh, opening for Agent Orange? And I was like, I'm not gonna say no to that. Like, and they were like, yeah, so the bassist of these bastards, like, is one of the managers at, at Slim's, and he said that we should get you on that show. So do you want to do it? Yeah. Um, so it, it, was, it was a lot of stuff like that that it took, took this, like, fun dad band uh, seriously for us. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, if you, if you look at the discography of, of all four of us, and what we have previously done, 
there's really no rhyme or reason why the four of us would be playing together. Um, and there really is no direction that you would be like, oh, well, that's a conclusion. Like, that, that's a logical thing, like, for these guys to play. Um, we just sort of settled on, like, let's just play fun punk rock. Because that was always the driving factor of the band was, like, fun, to be fun and, and be joyous. Um, so it's been kind of a wild ride. Uh, right after that Slim show, we recorded uh, the record that came out on Sell the Heart Records uh, back in March, yeah. uh, literally the next day. So, um, you know, some, some of us with, with hangovers, uh, all of us with very little sleep, uh, went in to house of faith over in Oakland, uh, run by Bart Thurber. Um, and we took the money that we'd gotten from the, the Ivy room show <laughs> and the slim show and paid him like 400 bucks, mm -hmm. uh, to record that. Um, and we thought we were going to record, we thought we were going to record a demo and maybe there would be enough songs on it that were like good enough takes in eight hours that we could put out a seven inch. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the, the, like the goal uh, that maybe we could, we could do that. Uh, and Bart is efficient. Uh, and we were too. I mean, like we, we kept a lot of the scratch tracks. I would say like 90% of my vocals we're just, you know, like, not necessarily like nailed it, but like, that works. Let's try and get as much done as possible. Um, and when we were mixing it, we, uh, we were sitting back in the little, little break room at House of Faith. And uh, we were trying to decide if we were going to do the seven inch idea still, or if we should just release them all at once. Um, and Mag and I both, our guitarist, are huge Motley Crue fans. Mm -hmm. And I was saying how, you know, when, when Motley Crue released their, their Too Fast for Love record, they expected it to be their demo tape. Um, they didn't expect to release it. Um, and it was, it was rushed and unpolished. And uh, that's, that's my favorite record by them. Uh, I think they, they continuously get worse over the years. Um, but that one is just... And uh, and I, I just joked that like instead of too fast for love, this was our too fag for love. Mm -hmm. uh, and once I said that, there was no putting the genie back in the bottle. Like it, I you know I tried to retract it, <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 that's good. We're gonna roll with it, and it's gonna be your crotch. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that's so awesome. that's that's how uh, that's how that record came to be. Yeah, it's been a fun ride. I mean, I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge fan. I'm a believer in in what Middle Age Queers has got going on. And like I was thrilled when you guys were interested in in working with the label in some capacity. And you know, I know you guys did a um either a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I think it was Indiegogo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like you, you were self-funding the record. But um yeah, when I put out the call to like see if bands were interested in like working with my label and you kind of piqued your interest and yeah, it was it was cool that we were able to like come together and and kind of make that uh, work. I wanted to talk a little bit about like being in a queer core band. You know, I mean, that is like a its own little like kind of nebulous little world within the punk rock scene. And you know, uh, right now there are plenty of bands that identify as queer, but I mean, how many are out there like really taking like that moniker of 
queer core you know like i mean do you do you feel like that's like still like a genre that's like very relevant at this point like i think that there is so much nostalgia attached to it for a lot of people um like as soon as as soon as i say it or hear it i immediately it invokes like very fond memories of the 90s when it was very clear that like this was a scene it was a movement we had festivals um i think a, a more so in in coastal cities i'm finding um it's just sort of a given that like there's going like or not a given but it's it's not a surprise when there's a member of a band that's queer um and and i've kind of you know if you look back at like sort of the evolution of the term and like punk rock history um there have been notable players in bands especially like you know front people in bands who were who were queer sure um and you know i it's sort of a like, is a band a queer core band just because they have a queer member? Are they a queer core band just because they say they are, but they have straight people who are playing with them? Um, you know, if you look at Pansy Division, Pansy Division is probably the most notable queer core band, uh, but they've had plenty of uh, straight identifying drummers and they currently have a straight guy playing guitar. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I'm, I kind of am of the opinion that, uh, you know, you, if you identify as such, then you are like, I, I, I have, uh, I have no interest in sort of like gatekeeping the term. Uh, I think if you're going to be a queer punk, uh, it, there's no like cash and prize benefits waiting for you on the other side you know like there's not really like a, a you can't be pulling a con job on like being in a queer core band i mean i guess you could but it's I, it's not lucrative right well <laughs> and, i mean clearly as as time has you know passed since like the the 50s 60s and 70s and you know you, you've had musicians and artists you know get a little bit more comfortable with you know letting people know you know about how they how they identify themselves and you know getting it more into like the art itself um like would would you say that currently there's still a lot of barriers that are having to be breached for like queer identifying music musicians within like the punk rock scene or the the independent music scene um or do you or do you feel like most of those have already been kind of transcended and it's mostly readily available to, to anyone that wants to be in that world w without much of a problem, you know? And I, I know that that's not necessarily like, um, it's probably a loaded question, but um, mm -hmm. I'm just curious to know like where you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, certainly you're, you're always going to have people in the punk rock scene who, um, or just instigators, right? Like you're, you're gonna have like the mentors or people who are just trying to push that uh, just for the sake of, you know, being edgy. Um, but I, I don't really think that that's, the stuff like that is outlier territory. Um, for the most part, like within the scene, 
what I've noticed uh, and I'm really excited about is the young people who are booking shows uh, and playing music, um, they don't give a fuck about how we used to do things. Like this is theirs, they've got it, like sit back old man. Um, and I think that that's awesome. Uh, like, you know, I, I posted something along this lines like about a year ago, like the future of punk rock is being made by like genderless teens uh, on shitty computers. Um, and they don't, they don't care about your gatekeeping regarding like how it needs to be real drums or how keyboards aren't punk. Um, they're going to do whatever the fuck they want. Um, and you can see that even like here in the East Bay scene, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, trans and gender nonconforming uh, volunteers at Gilman now. Um, and, you know, I was one of the only queer people uh, volunteering back back then. There were there were like three of us who were there on a regular basis volunteering. Uh, now, like, you know, the the vast majority of kids running the show, literally running the show at Gilman, identify as queer, um, and it's made Gilman more interesting. Um, you know, I, I I gotta hand it to the kids that they're doing it. They're doing it right. Um, and you know, with our guard. There were a lot of folks because it was it was the early early to mid '90s uh, when I spent most of my time at Gilman Street, um, and that's when you know you had Nirvana and then Jawbreaker and then Green Day all just kind of like collide into each other, uh, and the club got a lot of attention, and we we had a lot of uh, bleeding deacons uh, kind of dictating how things should go to us. Uh, and, and they were worried that their, their baby was, you know, going to die in our hands, that we were going to fuck things up. Uh, now the, the people running the show at Gilman are like, we got this, like, it's cool. Uh, and you know, there's, there are those of us in the wings, uh, you know, ready to be called upon when needed, but, uh, it's definitely a new guard over there. Yeah, no, I've, I've certainly noticed that as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you where I certainly feel that, you know, the, the younger generation of, you know, people within like the punk rock community who are taking the reins, you know, when, with regards to spaces like Gilman or, you know, really virtually any place that wants to be able to be inclusive, um, well, especially places that want to be inclusive. Um, they absolutely like are doing it the way that they want to do it. And like that, absolutely could mean tearing down the, the, the old ways, you know, or, or just not conforming to those old ways. And, you know, yeah, I, I love that <clears throat> that the city of Berkeley hated Gilman, absolutely hated it. Um, you know, I, I, I remember uh, us cackling at, I forget which, which supervisor or city council person said it, but called Gilman, uh, called Gilman Street Project a festering sore. Um, and, and now the Gilman Street Project is like one of the crown jewels of Berkeley <clears throat> um, because it has such a rich history of, of so, many, uh, so many artists coming out of there. Right. Um, and, you know, that it built a community for a lot of people. I mean, I, I, was, I was there 
every weekend for years. It didn't matter who was playing. Like, you know, I'd get out of school on Friday, uh, you know, take Bart to, to the Shattuck stop, skateboard up to Telegraph, get a slice of, you know, either, it was usually fat slice, uh, hang out at the steps of Sproul Plaza and wait. Wait until it was time to skateboard to Gilman and sign up for, you know, what I was going to do that night. Uh, I, I generally wanted to work side door first half or hand stamp for the last half. Yeah. Um, like, you know, that, that was my thing until eventually I started stage managing uh, and being a booker there. Um, you know, they, they definitely doled out uh, responsibilities as, as saw fit. When I was like 15 or 16, I was like doing pit security. <laughs> um, I, I did, I did, I made such a fuss over this. I really wanted to do security. Um, and it, it drove me nuts that like I would volunteer to do security and they would always pick the like straight buff dudes who are usually like a few years older than me, but I was like, well, I want to do it too. Come on. Like I wanted to be like, I wanted to be out and about during, during my volunteer shift. And I didn't care if my entire volunteer shift was doing security for the entire night. I wanted to move around. Right. Um, and I did. <laughs> so like trial by fire, one of the first nights I did pit security uh, was was AFI and Screw 32 on the same show. Yeah. Uh, and AFI had reached the point where they were, they were headlining. Um, and AFI was, was selling out at that point. Like uh, it was, it was a packed, packed show. Uh, and so they put me up on stage uh, defending a microphone stand. So that was my whole purpose was to, to sit in front of, uh, Jeff was playing bass for them then, was to sit in front of Jeff's mic stand and push the crowd back. Uh, and I'm like 16 years old. The next day, uh, no, two days later, I'm walking to school on a Monday morning and I could barely walk because right. I'd used like all of my lower body strength to like brace myself and push the crowd back. Um, but yeah, yeah that's good times. I mean yeah, I was, I was actually just about to kind of segue to another question regarding your experiences, like being a volunteer at Gilman. Um, are there any like notable shows both on like the, like, holy shit, that was incredible. Like I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life as a rad show. And then on the other side, like, oh shit, like that was horrible. Like, ugh. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Would love to hear if you have any stories like that to share. Um, I booked a show where I, Noise Gate was this band uh, that was like members of Neurosis and, and their whole thing was like uh, they played noise obviously but then they had these projectors behind them uh, just on a loop of some of like the most demented twisted shit uh, and it was so loud that you would hallucinate. Like you'd be staring at this stuff and you'd like just start losing your mind. <laughs> um, and I thought it'd be really cool to book an all noise show. So I found people who, and, and like I had Eric Core open 
because at the time, Eric Corps wasn't as like refined with a full band. It was him doing these gruff guttural vocals uh, over like a, a drop, I think it was like drop B tuning uh, guitar. Um, and then I, I had, like in my head, this was like an amazing show, showcasing the diversity of noise. Um, and I, I think there were like 25 people through the door. Okay. Um, yeah. it was, it was, and it was just not well attended. It was not well received. Um, there was a band that drove up from LA to play and I, I was very apologetic to them, um, called Spastic Colon. Oh, who yeah. are amazing. Yeah. 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 I remember that. I remember that band playing with like tape loops and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I was really, I, I, I really thought in my, in my heart's heart that there were enough weirdos out there that wanted to like listen to noise all night. Uh, and, and Berkeley nope. was just not ready. <laughs> um, probably my favorite show that I booked there uh, was, so people, people were really into doing like, you know, like slap a ham, fiesta grande and like, uh, that that kind of led to, to more theme nights, uh, even my own theme night. And I think probably like, in, I think I did this in like 98. Um, I was getting really tired of the constant, like, you know, this is a ska show. This is a hardcore show. Um, that uh, I, I wanted to like get things back to Gilman's eclecticness, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the early days, you know, it would be like Primus with MDC or just like the most baffling bills. Um, and originally the, the concept of Gilman was that you wouldn't get to know who was playing. You just, mm. you just showed up and there was a show. Um, and, and so I booked uh, Babyland, who is this electronic uh, industrial, they call themselves uh, electronic junk punk. Uh, yeah. band from Los Angeles, uh, nuclear rabbit, who was a, a, like a funk thrash band. Absolutely. Uh, exhumed, which is a yeah. grindcore band, uh, Magnum, which was a, an electronic like rap group. Uh, and they had, a, they had a, like two live drummers and then like two rappers, uh, and your mother. Oh, who is, <laughs> East Bay legends. Uh, now some of them are in, uh, in the band, the love songs. Um, but what was so fantastic about that show was it was packed. Um, and all of those bands could have, could have drawn on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what was so fantastic about that is that everybody brought their own audience that was so just into that genre and had never heard of the other bands before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you had like, these people who were like, you know, goths essentially for Babyland, uh, like headbanging to a band like Exhumed, um, and stuff like that was really fun. But that was probably the most memorable. That sounds awesome. I I I definitely kind of, you know, wish you know that more shows were a little bit more based around an eclectic lineup, because um, I, I definitely agree that it feels like there was a time where there was just a switch that happened where every show had to be streamlined to the exact same genre or sound. 
And I, I mean, I understand that a lot of that just comes from like trying to get people through the door to pay for the price of admission, you know, to cover all of your costs. And I mean, it's, un, I guess, you know, I've, I've been a promoter before I've, I've had to deal with that. I, I understand that that's sometimes the game you have to play, but when I'm uh, like a person who's just attending a show, I don't necessarily want to see all the bands on that bill. Um, I'd rather see a bunch of bands that are a little bit more eclectic, you know, and kind of make it more fun, you know? Um, but I mean, it's that's just also really, from, from a musician standpoint, like it's also really difficult for me. It was playing in a band like the cost to, to show up. And this happened constantly because we were on lookout. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'd show up and it was us booked with every pop punk band like within like a, a two hour radius of the city we were playing in. Cause it was back when you didn't get to stream entire albums. So we were getting booked just because we were on lookout and from Oakland and people were like, Oh, there's a lookout band coming. You want to play? And so it would be really uncomfortable to be like, yeah. All right. So we're going to disappoint you now. Here's a bunch <laughs> of stuff that, you know, like, um, yeah, because well, like, so, so I get it. I get wanting to play with like sounding bands. Yeah. Because um, yeah. for you know for a lot of nights on tour, like we were kind of the bummer, like the party poopers of the evening. Well, and for anyone that doesn't know, like the cost, we're kind of like uh, in that whole scrams, you know, kind of genre, right? I love that scrams is a term now. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, um, apparently it's a term now, but I mean, I guess like screamo, for lack of a better word, but yeah. Um, I think the term screamo got taken out, like got, got a, appropriated to stuff like a Treyu and, and Thursday. Right. And so the idea with the scrams moniker is that like, it's differentiating it. I don't know. Like we called it hardcore. Right. Like what, my, probably my favorite band ever is a uh, Mohinder mm. and they, they definitely are like quintessential, screamo or scrams um but nobody nobody called them that they played with other hardcore bands like you know i i saw mohinder open for spitboy hmm. um you know it was just they were just doing hardcore faster you know I, right one of those like things were like you know after the fact we've got to like come up with a, a classification for it sure um well hey you know i uh, speaking of like favorites, you know, uh, one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, currently the, the Bay Area scene is, you know, it, it's, I mean, everyone's kind of at a, at a stall right now because of what's going on with the pandemic, but, um, you know, it's, it's still buzzing with like plenty of great bands. And I was wondering if you might be able to name a few bands that you are aware of that other people may not be aware of that you think should be aware of and who are those bands hmm um well i'd be remiss if i didn't say lollygaggers and homemobiles um and I, they're both of them are, are queer core bands um and i i think that's that's something that i wanted to get into uh was you know queer core as a an umbrella term uh, doesn't necessarily mean a specific sound. There is no queercore sound. I would love to put out a comp called "Now, now That's What I Call Queercore," um, just because, like, it would be like 
you know, a, a folk punk band and then like a, you know, grindcore band right afterwards. Um, but Lollygaggers just, just self-released uh, a four song seven inch uh, called Cavity Search. Uh, and then Homemobiles, uh, they've been around for, for a little bit longer. I want to say that they've been around for like four years now. Um, and they, they have like a pretty solid lineup now. Um, and we played with them at El Rio. Um, and that was, that was such a ridiculously like fun show. Um, we were supposed to play with them. Our record release was supposed to be with them. Right. Uh, and unfortunately that, that has been postponed, uh, <laughs> until the end of March. Like, <laughs> until the end of March. Yeah. Right. Until the end of uh, March. <laughs> end of March, 2022. Right. <laughs> um, I've been really digging the, uh, the latest hammer bombs. Oh yeah. Um, the, the goodbye dream boat. Um, I, I streamed, uh, yeah. I streamed the uh, the EP that they put out before that, um, and uh, oh, and pathogens, like. But there's it's just such solid players, and like, the the uh, sweet and sour of Cinder and and Jesse uh, doing dueling vocals is is nice, um, and it's not it's neither. It doesn't, the music is not derivative uh, for either of their old projects. Um, it just works really, really well. Uh, and they're a hoot to see live. They're oh. super fun and energetic. Absolutely. Um, up in Sacramento, at a lemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, very pop punk. Like they, they, they have been, they have been drinking heartily from the well of like Blink-182 and Screeching Weasel and um but it's all good like i don't know uh like i said my favorite band is like this screamy hardcore band from the 90s that like put out a few seven inches but like fuck if i don't listen to a bunch of pop punk too um yeah uh yeah adelemon uh copy slut who is uh i I would still call them queer core but there is very little punk rock going on uh it's very bluesy um it's very it's like a cabaret almost vibe, right? Yeah. 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 They, when you see them live, I don't no spoilers. Cause like, we're going to get back to things and they're going to play. But like when I see them live, I'm always like, Oh, okay. Like this has like reached my level of comfort. And then they just like push it a little more. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You did that to me. Let's keep going. Um, they're a good. Yeah. Time. I was, uh, I was at that show at Gilman. I think it was like the last. I think it was the last show you guys played, right? Yeah, Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was the Valentine's Day, right? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, they they performed, and um, yeah, I I that was the first time I had ever really heard them before, and like I I thoroughly enjoyed the whole show, and um, I I think that they're going to turn a lot of heads, you know? Yeah, yeah, and they're they all live together, <laughs> and so they're right. They're like still releasing music. They just shot a music video. Like they're just on it. Mm. Um, I mean, it's yeah. it's really great music too. Yeah, like, on top. Yeah, they are definitely some skilled players. Yeah, um, they're fantastic. Yeah. Also, uh, as far as Bay Area music goes, uh, State Faults, who are actually from Santa Rosa, I think. 
Yeah, uh, I know the I know those those guys. Mm-hmm. Good guys. That yeah, I I think like within like a four month period, I saw like every single Bay Area show that they played. Mm. Um, I picked up that record. Um, I walked into Gilman because someone was like, why aren't you at this show? And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, State Vault. Never heard of them. Mm. So I just drove because I had nothing going on that night. Uh, and I walked in to them, like, just starting off their set. And, like, as I'm approaching the stage, I was like, oh, this is, oh, shit, this is good. Um, that new record of theirs, uh, I think it's called Clairvoyant. I picked it up. Um, is, is really good. Along those same lines, and I, I saw them play uh, with State Faults is Hawak, mm. um, and they're uh, they're 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 Bay Area's own all Asian screamo band or scrams as the kids are calling it, um, and they're they're fun as shit. And they just they just put out a new single. I think they just, I think it was stuff that was recorded before the pandemic, and they they had someone mix it, and it's mwah. okay. Well, uh, that's definitely a a rad list of bands for people to check out and we'll make sure to include uh, links to all those bands for anything that we can find online for them. But um, moving on to my final formal question for you tonight. Um, And this is something I've been asking every guest. And I know that for some people, it's not a very nice question to ask, but I always just get genuinely curious. I'd love to know, do you have five records that you would consider to be like your top five desert island you know could never get tired of listening to records and what are those oh okay um first is uh motley Crue's too fast for love but it has to be the leather records mix the og pressing because it has the song stick to your guns on it and the the remixed and repressed version on electro records does not contain that song um Second would be the Mohinder and Nitwit split. Uh, it's a split seven inch. It's on 33 RPM. Uh, so, you know, you get those extra minutes. Um, but all of those songs slap. Um, Faith No More's We Care A Lot. Uh, ooh, this is getting more difficult as my choices narrow down. Uh, Carcasses, necroticism, discanting the insalubrious. Okay. Uh, would be the I fifth? can't say that I'm very familiar with that band. I mean, I, I've heard of Carcass, but I, I don't think I've ever listened to them. I'm going to force Carcass upon you. I, I can't wait. <laughs> they, they, they pioneered two different subgenres of metal, um, that being doom and, and grindcore. All right. I'm intrigued. Um, uh babyland you suck crap but the cd version not the lp version uh i'm not a big cd fan but the cd version has like a bunch of eps on it uh and if i'm gonna be on an island i want i want the long play okay yeah uh great list we'll definitely try to add the links to you know for people to check those out as well uh, in case anyone's curious, um, I I will definitely be listening to Carcass later tonight to find out what yeah. uh, about all the magic of Carcass. But um, yeah, uh, Sean, it's been great to talk to you, and you know I I hope that you know this whole 
pandemic thing has, you know, been treating you and yours okay and that you're staying safe. Um, you know, I mean, we've been pretty good constant con uh, communication. So, um, you know, great to hear that, you know, you're able to work and everything. But um, on that note, we're going to leave everyone with the latest song from, or the latest single from the middle-aged queers, Too Fag for Love. It's called the Theme Song. And uh, it's a crowdsourced video that the band put together. Uh, you want to talk about that real quickly? Oh, yeah. So we, we initially had, had planned on shooting this video at Gilman uh, with all of us in like uh, 80s hair metal drag, um, which would have been a fun show to shoot uh, with like pyro and, and smoke machines and all that. Uh, but instead, because we couldn't do that anymore and we wanted to, to release something, uh, we crowdsourced uh, videos from people and we got stuff uh, we got stuff from, we thought it was going to be like our friends from the Bay area, but we got stuff from like, you know, the East coast, from the Philippines, from the UK. Uh, it was kind of wild to see like, uh, the, the submissions coming in. Uh, and it was, it was really fun putting it together. Um, and the first single was, was cute and fun because the internet reacts so well to, uh, cats. <laughs> it was for Gary's making biscuits. Uh, and I knew that that's the one that I wanted uh, to start things off because the internet and cats like, uh, but what was so much fun about this one is that uh, was for me, was for me seeing people, there was one, there was one guy who, who sent a video of him playing guitar along with the entire song. Um, just sort of like the creative direction that people took. Cause we gave, we gave no instruction. We were just like lip sync and send us the video. Um, and you actually start off this video too. I it's, do. <laughs> it's going to be I a shot of you <laughs> in that direction of your office. So that'll be I, fun. I know. So this might look very familiar to people who are seeing this video for the first time, but um, no, it's, I, I think it's a, I think it's a rad video and uh, well done, but, um, yeah, man, you, you take good care and thanks again for coming on the podcast and we'll talk to you real oh, soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah.